Hello everyone, welcome to the very first episode of the Event Tech Talk Show, um, which is a new live podcast brought to you by myself, Adam Parry, and Event Tech Live. Um, I guess to explain a little bit about the idea behind this live podcast and show, the idea really is to allow you, the industry, to interact um, and ask questions to event professionals from all around the world on various event tech topics. So I love podcasting. Uh, but one of the elements that was always missing for me was the opportunity to engage with guest speakers. And that's what I hope will happen here today. Um, so if you do have any questions, make sure you pop them in the comments and we'll bring them live on air. Um, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Eventscase, who we just saw this short video from. They are the Europe's largest provider of event engagement and management software. If you're in the market for virtual or hybrid event technology, do go and check them out at eventcase.com. I'm really excited to have Will Curran, founder of Endless Entertainments based out of Phoenix, Arizona, and also Brank Kruger of Event Technology Consulting based out of Minneapolis, both joining me today to discuss their event tech predictions for 2020 with episode one. So Brant, Will, Will, welcome to the show. <laughs> Always a pleasure to be here hanging out with these uh, fine gentlemen. Uh, you guys are awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, thank you. We can we can just do we can just keep doing this. We can just like rub each other's backs for like forty five minutes and no, we'll you're awesome. Back. No, you're awesome. <laughs> Listen, I, I guess to anybody watching, you, you, your familiar faces. You appeared at Event Tech Live in November, but for me, you you really are though. You're in the thick of it. Brent, you're teaching people. Will, you're helping companies still deliver virtual events and also engaging with industry events to help teach yourself. So, like. How does it feel to be in your positions right now? I, well, I'm going to throw that to you first. Oh man, it's like it's like the Spider-Man quote with uh, great responsibility. What was the quote? Uh, gosh, I don't remember. Thank you, thank you. So it feels like that a little bit, but um, it also feels like this um, you know crazy world where we're right now very much focused on a lot of elements that are outside of our. Um, our control right now. So I think that um, it's really, really helpful to be able to share information and help educate in areas that I feel really comfortable in. Um, and that's really fun. But then there's also, I think, this like looming question of like, so yeah, like what's going to happen in Q4 of this year? And I'm like, I don't have a magic ball in some ways too. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's ex exciting time though, uh, for sure. Brent, what about you? Yeah, nobody knows what's what's coming, right? You know, I, I got to take place uh, or take part in a, in a webinar, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now uh, with with the Event Leadership Institute, where we were talking about the road ahead in 21. And um, it's, you know, I think the biggest thing that we're trying to emphasize is that it's complicated, right? You know, there's not just one thing that's going to, we're not just going to be, okay, after April 23rd, we're going to be able to go back to events. It's, you know, everything's just going to be rolling. So, you know, Will's uh, stresses uh, is, is uh, they're going to continue because there, there is no magic answer coming um, for when we will start going back to live events because it's going to vary city to city, country to country, company to company, organization to organization, and planner to planner and attendee to attendee uh, on when they're comfortable going back to live events. That's a lot deeper probably than you wanted to go in the first in, first softball <laughs> question. But, but um, you know, that's that's where my head is really at these days is that it, it, there's so much uncertainty between here and there. 
um, that, you know, I'm just trying to get people to just take a step back and, and know that, you know, so if you're waiting, you know, to find out when we're going to be back to normal, don't, you know, start making decisions now based on the fact that we don't know what's going to happen. I think that's really good advice. Let's, let's all be honest, like, 12 months ago, we did not think that we would still be sat here, right? As event professionals, we were like, this is going to be weeks, maybe a month, maybe two months, maybe three months. And here in the UK, especially, like we had almost this go date of October the 1st. That's that's what everybody in the industry was gearing up to. There were pilot events, yeah. test events, people working with local authority. And I think we got it instilled in us, rightly or wrongly, that from that date, we were going to be let back out of the... Um, out of the gate and we'd be able to plan events again that's passed and now we're three months past that as well and I think you're right Brent if we don't start getting into the the idea that we need to do things now as we are and plan for that then we're going to be in a really sticky situation when it comes to actually revenue and all of the other things keeping people engaged and that kind of stuff well I guess to that point, that's this podcast done. We've we've done the event tech predictions. We can't really predict anything. No, I'm only joking. I, I, done. I guess. <laughs> I guess from my perspective, it'd probably be easy to to break it down into pockets of of kind of different things. Um, that's the way I tend I tend to look at things. Um, you know, we're talking about live events already, um, and for me, live events are, are going to be a real challenge to come back the way that we saw them at the back end of 2019 to, to go straight out the gates into this, you know, shaking hands, thousands of people on site and all that kind of stuff. And I think they're going to change in terms of their, their look and feel and the way that we interact with them as attendees. Do you, do you think the same, like what's your predictions around live events, maybe around technology that we might see help that transition back to face to face? Anybody want to throw something out there? Brand, go ahead. I did the first one first. <laughs> well, I mean, for the for, for the short term, we're looking at hybrid. I mean, and and so again, going back to kind of where I started there, you know, talking about making the decision, saying, okay, if if you absolutely have to have some kind of live element in your event, uh, then you're going to have to be looking at hybrid because again, we just don't know where we're going to be at. Every time we've thought we've known where we were going to be at in three months, we've been wrong. So so you know, your safest bet is hybrid, but hybrid is hard. Hybrid is difficult because now you're planning for two completely different audiences. Um, you need to make sure that both of them have a good quality experience. And so you really have to go through the design process and think through their, uh, you know, their journey through your event for both audiences. And there's more cost involved uh, frequently because we're adding the streaming technology that we wouldn't have necessarily had with just a live event uh, or an in-person event. I'm trying to break myself of that habit in person, online, not live. Live just means it's happening now. So in person versus uh, online events. Um, or, you know, a lot of companies are continuing to decide to just stay with the digital. We don't know what's going to happen. So we might as well just stay with our online events. And so, you know, again, make that decision soon, make it now. But then as we come back to that live in, in person experience, um, you know, we're already seeing the change. Every, you know, the ones that have come back and have tried it, you know, there's gallons of hand sanitizer on site. There's there's social distancing. There's attempts. My real concern, though, and and this is it's less of a concern now that we're seeing um, vaccinations come into play, is just that human nature kicking in. Because even in those events where everyone's it's planned within an inch of its life to be as safe as it possibly can, 
end of the night, you're on the bus back, you've had a couple of drinks, the masks come off. Um, and you know, next thing you know, you're sitting next to each other and, you know, people just, you know, don't follow the procedures properly. So, you know, it's it, until this thing is truly licked, that's, I think, going to be the biggest struggle of, of the in-person events is planning it within an inch of its life to be as safe as possible, but then really staying on our attendees to keep it safe um, uh, as much as we possibly can as organizers. Because in the end, if someone gets infected from that event, they're looking at the event. They're not looking at the people that were attendees. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. No, but no organizer wants that liability on themselves. And I guess no attendee wants to be the cause of that transmission or infection or, or other aspects, just the same as the guy doesn't want to be the one that spills the drink at the end of the night over the over the person <laughs> that stood next to them, right? And I wonder whether technology will play a role in that, what you said there, Brand. I was I was talking to a, a company just recently around facial recognition, uh, facial not facial recognition, facial identification, which could tell if they've got masks and things on like that, and then display messages to people based on them actually not wearing a mask as a reminder to put that mask on. Um, and I like that idea because that means you can position them in key locations. It doesn't take somebody else to be that guy or girl to be the one to go over and go, put your mask back on or you're not wearing it properly. Like I got told off when I was in Dubai at the hotel because um, we're just walking around and it dropped. Um, so I, I wonder if technologies like that will play a role as well in helping to keep people safe and reminding them, you know. Can I say something slightly controversial? You can, absolutely, go for I, it. I'm wondering if it actually will help though, because they, you know, I was reading an article that said, you know, so the, in terms of social distancing and following procedures, peer pressure was the biggest thing that made a difference. And was, you know, like the idea of social shaming and things that I think gets people to wear masks and to like actually social distance and to be safe. But like, let's be honest, if a computer is saying put a mask on, I'm a mask abiding citizen, by the way. Um, but I'm wondering if the, if a computer is saying, put on your mask you're like screw you computer you can't tell me what to do you know like will you listen to it maybe but but that's probably the same guy or girl that would say screw you to a person anyway <laughs> that's true well I, I, like for you for example you were like hey your mask just dropped you didn't even notice it and uh, you know i feel like that's super duper helpful it'd be like those from family myers but like uh, yeah i'm wondering if it's maybe the people yeah the people who maybe are against masks are probably they're not gonna listen to a computer or a person um on it and maybe that's a totally different sub issue versus like the the building good habits and uh, making sure that the people who are going to follow those, those situations are better um i, th I yeah, think it's still I, about super, I, I derailed the conversation completely it's so i apologize well, i'll just say it's going to bring back to that to that responsibility that we were just talking about this idea though that you know as the organizer you're telling people all right so then now you got to start building in okay what if they don't listen to you do you ban them? Do you warn them twice and then kick them out? I mean, what's, sure. you know, what's, where's the responsibility level end um, as the organizers is, is going to be a really fluid thing, I think, here for a while. That's interesting. Yeah. We've got a question here, actually, that's, I think, related. So Mackenzie here has asked, how do we determine which events require an in-person component and I guess which, which ones don't? I think that's really, that's a conversation I'm having a lot, right? Do you guys having the same conversation with your customers and, and networks? Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, cl clients who are sitting here going, okay, yeah, so like we want to do hybrid, we're ready to do it. And then they go, oh, wait, what if we just go 100% virtual, just one more year? You know, uh, is it really required right now uh, on it? And I definitely feel it's like it's a conversation, Mackenzie. Um, and, but Brant, what, what's kind of your thoughts on it? 
It's it is absolutely a conversation, and it's stuff that we're figuring out, right? So so as as we're going through this, we're starting to see which events work, which events don't, and as organizers, that's going to be again kind of an individual decision. Uh, that and I constantly go back to you know lean on your stakeholders, talk to your attendees, talk to your exhibitors, talk to your sponsors, involve them in the design process, so that hey that didn't work so well. What can we do to make it better uh, if we're going to go another round of, of online event only? Um, or is there something that we really are missing um, from the in-person events? You know, uh, Will and I, you were talking, you and I were talking the other day about CES. You know, I think people uh, started to realize that a lot of what CES was, was that in-person aspect. It's not just about the, the gear and women releasing things at a certain time. And people who only a year ago were saying, I never want to go to one of those again, suddenly were going, you know, I kind of miss seeing my friends that I only get to see once a year. And so the determining whether or not you know, you require uh, an in-person component is going to depend on what you're trying to do with the event, the goals and objectives of that event. Um, and so, you know, we joke about in my classes that the Brant's drinking game is when he says goals and objectives uh, involve your stakeholders and it depends. Um, those are basically the things that we drink. So, you know, I really do think, especially in this world uh, of where we're at today, going back to the goals and objectives and involving the stakeholders are super important to making sure that everybody's getting what they need to out of their events. Definitely. And I'll, I'll tack on and add to that, too, that um, I, I, I really feel like a lot of times, too, when it comes to like which events require it, I feel like a lot of people are like, yeah, like which ones are going to need it? And then but then people then have the conversation with partners like me and they go, yeah, so it's going to be cheaper to do a hybrid event. Right. <laughs> and it's going to be cheaper than we have ever done an in-person event. And what instead I'm hearing is that people aren't recognizing and realizing that it's going to be more expensive. So I think it's also less of a question of what's going to, which events require it and which ones can you afford to do fully in person now, or which ones can you afford to do the right hybrid model on too? Yeah. I think the, uh, the B word, the budget word is going to play a big role in determining whether you require an in-person event and actually whether that is the more cost-effective way to go over over virtual or, or hybrid, right? It'll be interesting to me to see how many organizations actually have the budget to do what I think the industry has a vision of, as most of, is this hybrid element, which is everything happening at the same time. Um, somebody I was talking to recently calculated that you probably need about 1.5x team members to deliver something like that at the same time. Um, maybe you need to, the AV and streaming company needs to expand theirs. It's more internet, more cameras, all that kind of stuff, more production, just more management and time management, right, as well. So, you know, will people just sway in some cases back to physical and live and drop the hybrid on the online because it's actually still more cost effective to do it that way? It'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be, I guess, only time, time will tell. So... Maybe we can't predict on that, that one That is too the much. third option that I didn't mention. I mean, it's I have an, I have an in-person client that I worked with as a technical producer, and they went online last year, and it was so bad that 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 they have basically decided this year it's it's in-person or bust. Um, and so they're planning on an in-person event in June, and which I and I would still be nervous about. Um, and uh, they're 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 going in in person or bust. And unfortunately, because it's an association and associations are struggling right now, my concern would be is if it goes bust, it'll go big, but like they'll just be done um, as an as an organization, which is which is sad. But that's the that's where they're at. It's really interesting. People questioning, I guess, 
the investment that they put in associations and actually the bit of the real value is that physical bringing of together of like minds and people in a network to, and that's where the value is right so interesting we'll see i guess that could be many associations then brent that we see maybe go down that same route unfortunately i guess that brings me on to my next question and again this is hard to predict but what do you think is going to happen with the virtual event platform landscape i mean we've seen an absolute explosion of existing technology providers pivot or bring in technology um there's obviously new players let's let's take hopping um you know now the owners of Streamyard, which we're using today gone from literally stealth mode in like february to fully fledged I don't know how many billion valuation company now, you know, hosting huge amounts of virtual events and things. Do you think we'll continue to see an explosion of them or do you think we'll see some die? Like what's your thoughts around the, the explosion of virtual event platforms? Well, I'm going to come to you. <laughs> um, I, I think th um, this year is going to be a little bit less explosion, a little bit more iterative for sure. But I think the interesting thing is that, as people start to get more experience and understand what's different features of a platform, there'll be less need for another platform. And instead of this idea that everyone will start to kind of drift and become different from each other. Uh, you know, for example, I think a lot of people are realizing they're looking at these um, platforms and going, oh, so they don't can't handle in person really well like so we're gonna need a different totally different platform and i think that not to say that it's not a great virtual platform at that point but there might be one that's better that can handle the hybrid situation totally differently so i think instead of it being this explosion of oh we need another platform we need another platform this market's just there's so much land grab to get right now um it's gonna see a little bit more iterative and i think i'm i mean like i i'm not an economy guy and I don't really you know talk to every single person in the industry to feel this but I feel like there's everyone's kind of taking a breath right now and like taking a second to be like oh so this is going to continue happening rather than like in March which everyone was like oh my god it's the end of the world what are you gonna do like oh just make this all happen now everyone's like okay well maybe my event was October let me just push it to January and do my normal planning process I normally do uh, and I'm seeing a lot more of that like a, definitely a slowdown yeah, interesting. Brent, do you have anything to add to that? I think it's a lot like the event app market, right? You know, we went from, you know, basically four or so event apps, but over five to six years, you know, it feels like there's hundreds. And, uh, you know, we just did it a lot faster this time. So, you know, 10 months ago, there were about four online, uh, you know, event platforms. And now there's hundreds. And so we did it a lot faster. But what was fascinating to me is even once we hit that kind of quote unquote saturation point in the event app market, every year there'd be one or two more. So, you know, I agree with Will that I think we're past the explosion point, but that doesn't mean that we're done, you know, having new companies come along and say, well, we want to take a crack at this. I think we can do this better. And, you know, a lot of them come from internal uh, you know, a lot of the event app companies that were out there, you know, were home built by a company that just didn't feel like any of the ones that were out there worked for them. And then they later release it uh, in in hopes that other people feel the same way. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of those as well now in the online event platform where, you know, it's relatively easy. There's plenty of open source tools out there to 
build your own streaming platform. Um, and so a lot of folks are doing that still internally. Uh, and then I think so the explosion is passed. I agree that we'll, we'll now be in kind of the iteration phase, but don't count out the idea that someone new could come along and be like, oh, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Do you think we'll niche down? Do you think platforms will go like more specific based on association needs, charity needs, that kind of thing? Could you see that happening? I think yes. so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, you know, using the event app model, you know, which I think is, is so far lining up pretty, pretty well, you know, as, as far as a, as a, as a, what to look back at in the history uh, for what's coming next. Um, you know, every event app you ask them, you know, who's your target audience? They'll say, oh, everybody, we can do everybody. But then if you just drill down just a little bit, you'll find, well, actually we do a little bit better with medical meetings because we have the ability to do scientific posters and distribute content afterwards. And the same thing is now happening with the online uh, event uh, apps that, and usually it's whatever they specialized in before. So mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you know, these guys, they're really pushing the content delivery and the on-demand content. And then you use like the internet archive to go back and look at what they were doing 10 months ago. And their <laughs> website is all about content <laughs> delivery and marketing and things like that. Shocker. So, you know, I think we will see those kind of specializations happen, but Every, you know, every, just like every event app would get you through 80% of any events, you know, because it's got a schedule and speaker bios and, you know, the map of the convention center. I think 80% of the, you know, online event platforms will be fine for most everybody. But then if you do have that niche and you do want to, you know, line up that last 20%, you have the ability to do so. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, just back to the comparison with the event app kind of scenario, I think we're going to see a lot of mergers and acquisitions over the next couple of years. So that's the next phase. <laughs> maybe you maybe you moved away from a company and you didn't want to be a customer anymore. And then you'll be a customer because that company bought that company that you moved to. <laughs> Man, well, that's never happened before in the events industry. <laughs> never, never. When a company buys like four of the major players and there you go, you're right back where you started again, I guess. And um, before I move on to, I guess, one of my next questions, um, there's another question here from um, Mackenzie. I'm going to bring it on screen. How do you recommend planning from pivoting to hybrid? And I think she's looking at budgeting, staffing. How does she help and you know convince and educate the leadership that she needs to plan for a, 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 an increase in both areas? I guess being that in the mix of it, that's a real challenge, right? Are, are, how are you guiding your your customers and your network guys? Brent, you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> I can. I can. I mean, this is all I do is talk no, about this. No, it's, it, it, and to a certain extent, me too. So it's it's. I'm, I'm not going to put either one of you on the spot. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to play tennis here. Whoever wants oh, to speak no. first, go. <laughs> I, you know, uh, you know. To, there's a couple different aspects of that. If you're trying to convince someone, that's one thing. Um, uh, the good news is that most small to medium size meetings, you know, have 80% of the gear. 80's been my number, I guess, this morning. Uh, you know, that you would need to do. You know, as long as you've got a camera and an audio board and microphones, you know, all, a lot of the stuff that we have at our small to medium sized businesses, all you're adding now is the, spleen, the streaming provider, the streaming platform. You know, what are you going to use to get that information out? Um, and then thinking through the interactivity. So the, the 1.5 staffing, I think, is uh, it could be even a little high, you know, because if you think about what you would normally have, you know, you've again, you've got your camera, you've got your lights, you've got your sound, you've got your audio. Um, really is what you're adding, I think, is 
you know, adding that host, adding that, you know, extra person that's going to be the contact for your online audience. That's a huge part, I think, of, of pulling off a hybrid event successfully, that you're not just throwing a live stream, you're not just throwing a camera in the corner, throwing a live stream out, but really working on the interaction between the two audiences, making the remote audience feel like they're in the room, making, you know, kind of trying to find connections with the in-person audience to the remote audience. And so having that dedicated host or MC uh, for your remote audience, they're in the room. So they can act as the voice of the remote audience. Um, so yeah, there's going to be some cost involved in that. So there's going to be the additional charge of the, the streaming provider. But it, in the big picture, it's not that much more. So it's not double. It's, you know, and 1.5 even could be a little bit high, depending on who you go with a platform and what you use. And, you know, there are platforms that are $200,000 and there are platforms that are $15,000. And again, you know, 80% of it's going to be about the same and be, you know, so do you really need the $200,000 online event platform? Maybe not. Uh, so I, I think it can be done. And so you can work a lot of that if you're trying to convince someone. One, you've got a built-in backup. So, you know, if if conditions have changed, we don't have the vaccine rolled out fast enough, uh, we're still struggling with hotspots in, you know, country, country X, Y, and Z, so they're not going to be able to attend. We've got a backup. Um, and if you have to cancel your in-person component, you're not out. Um, so those are the things that I keep emphasizing is one, it's not that much. It doesn't have to be that much more expensive Two, you've got a built in backup. And so I think those two things, both of which I think leadership would, would like hearing. Well, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it's so smart to think about like, yeah, if you have a small meeting, you're probably gonna not be spending ma buku massive amounts of extra of costs, you know, yeah, if you have one room with one single meeting with 20 people in it, you know, yeah, not a not massive amount of costs. And I think one important thing to know, too, as we start to think about this is that every single hybrid event I've seen so far doesn't have massive audiences in person. So I think everyone's like, well, yeah, we're gonna do it in person. And thousands of people are gonna buy tickets. And we're gonna have this really expensive in-person event and then oh yeah then we also have to do all virtual so it's gonna be no it's 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 probably gonna be that if you had you know three thousand people showing up to your meeting 30 people will show up this year or maybe 75 i mean like uh, i think uh pcma's convening leaders is a great example of this like humongous conference and i don't think they actively said no we we, we all we will only take this many people it wasn't like super exclusive like anyone could have come still only 75 people bought tickets and were there and you got to keep in mind there's probably a bunch of those are diehards people who really want to see the events industry come back i think it's going to be something very very similar to keep in mind when it comes to playing is that that in-person element is going to be really 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 small to start off with and then it's going to start to grow which gives you the opportunity year over year to start to grow and my hopes are that whatever revenue model that you design for your your event that it's designed that as you start to add more attendees you also are making more money so to cover those costs of having more of those attendees and doing it the right way um and yeah i think uh when it comes to the technology side of things i'm 100 percent with brant start virtual first then start to add and tack on the in-person versus back in the day was let's do in-person attack on a virtual element it's the other way around virtual first audience for sure i think there's two things i'd like to, to add to that and apologies for my little little son in the background um live streaming from home guys this is this is what it's all about I right I um it. i guess there's two things if i can continue my train of thought one is around getting people back to live events now this is not an event technology prediction but this is just a prediction about events in general is there 
I feel like there'll be an emergence of people putting more emphasis on the leisure and travel aspect of attending events, as well as the networking content and grit opportunities, right? Because then you're kind of playing into people's other emotions and mindset of like, okay, from me here in the UK, maybe I want to go to that event in Vegas because who doesn't want to go to Vegas, right? Like I can spend an extra couple of days. I'm already going through the process of traveling and tests or whatever else is involved in going to a business event. I might as well extend my stay and enjoy a couple of days leisure time either side of that event or around that event, or maybe even take my family with me and, and just go through that pain as well. So I think it'll be interesting to see how people kind of use that as a as a hook. Um, and then on, on the second side of things, you know, at the moment, from what I see, everybody's trying to plan their original events, the physical events and the things that were happening before. Why not take the opportunity to launch new events within your niche or new or areas or new verticals? Or I'm pretty sure 99% of planners out there or organizations will have a list of things we'd like to do, but never get around to doing it because planning physical events is a lot of work, right? Like virtual events can be spun up relatively cost effective initially if you plan and budget the right way and you can you can test the water and if you get 75 people turn up to your first virtual event for this thing then like that's a success that's 75 new people to a new event then build on that lots of companies want to geo clone lots of companies want to spin off they see niches i mean we've all seen the uh the uh, co-locates that happen all the time with people with new ideas and stuff do you guys see that happening or do you see different things happening around that as well I definitely think it's so smart to like say like look like nothing sacred like let's start from scratch and do it that way i think people fear that annual conference that everyone knows the branding of and trusts of but let's be honest like a lot of times when we're, we're afraid to do additional events like you said is because we got so much other stuff on our plate but i'm sure that if you've built up enough brand loyalty to your organization or to your event that if you said hey we're gonna do this niche small event that's still along the lines my gosh, I'm sure a bunch of people would jump all over that. And I think that you then can give a more intimate experience. And I think definitely the nicheification of events is, I think, definitely going to be something very interesting to watch on here moving forward because people are craving hyper specific, uh, you know, uh, not mass market styles of events and interactions with people. People don't want to get on Facebook and just talk to everybody. They want to join a group for a certain size of business, doing this certain size of problem and having this certain size of whatever it may be. And they want that like nichification. I mean, uh, I was talking about this with uh, our head of implementation is that like, you look at Reddit, for example, like Reddit is constantly like, they have these large communities and then people are like, this is too big. And then they splinter off into smaller communities. Then those get big and then people splinter off. And I think the people are constantly looking for various hyper-specific interactions uh, online. I absolutely agree. And I think that's why we're seeing things like Clubhouse pop up, right? Like bringing people together in an environment like that is nothing new, but the way that they're doing it is new and it's interesting. And, you know, all of a sudden what they've got like 2 million active daily users or something like that out of nowhere, they're bringing in the ability for people to drive revenue. Like I put this meme on um, LinkedIn the other day, which is Clubhouse is not an event platform, you know, prove me wrong kind of thing. And I think I had my words like yesterday, right? Because all of a sudden, if you're a content creator and you can bring a community together and you can make them pay or ask or, or get them to contribute, then ultimately that's a moment in time and underlined in the moment in time is an event, right? So all of a sudden it becomes an event platform. So I think it's really interesting the way that people are going to be kind of 
changing the way that they deliver events or launching new things or trying new things. I guess that brings me on to kind of one of my other questions. And in fact, just before we do, Greg here, Greg Lusk, apparently is loving Clubhouse. Have you guys tried it before we move on? I'm an Android user. Oh, dear. <laughs> I, I just haven't felt the need personally as it, you know, it's, I think it's, it's great. Uh, I can't help but feel it's, it's a reaction to just being sick of being on zoom calls, you know, all the time. And actually, you know, Mackenzie has been killing it in the comments. You know, she was asking about um, explaining the value of higher production quality. And I always bring that up in the context of zoom fatigue um, you know, that Zoom fatigue is real. We've been doing these video chats now for 10 months. And the biggest way that you can get out of that is to change it up, mix it up, do something different. And I think that's a lot of why people are gravitating to Clubhouse. It's just something different. It's something they can leave on, you know, almost like talk radio. Uh, you, you absorb what you can uh, and, uh, you know, and take with it what you can and, and listen to people. And there's, there's community and, you know, there's involvement. And, you know, I keep you know, when people say you can't make money at online events, you know, to tell that to Twitch, I mean, good Lord, you know, people are making a lot of money on Twitch and YouTube um, and, and TikTok and other places. So you can actually make money on the internet. Who knew? Um, but, you know, this idea of increasing your production value, I think is very important. You know, so one of the ways to combat Zoom fatigue is don't make it look like a Zoom call, you know, put a little effort into your background, put a little effort into camera placement so that it's not the same up the nose shot that we get. Um, uh, you know, put a little investment in microphones and lights and things like that. And so, uh, you know, to answer Mackenzie's question, you know, the, the way that I explain that is, you know, the more we can make it not look like a Zoom call, the more you're going to professional, the more you're going to look like a TV star, right? So, you know, when I'm talking to presenters, when I'm talking to executives, that's a lot of the framing is, you know, we want you to look your best. You know, we want, you know, especially especially if it's customer facing or client facing, um, but even internal as well, right? We want to look like we know what we're doing. <laughs> you know, we want our leaders to look like they know what they're doing. So um, again, best way to do that is don't make it look like a Zoom call. I'll, I'll chime in. I definitely, I, I mean, Brian and I always agree with each other. Like, I think we hardly ever disagree because we, we so much, that's why we do a podcast all about event technology and just talk about event technology all the time. But I think the, the interesting thing also to talk about not making it feel like a Zoom call and why people are also attracted to the clubhouse is, yeah, this idea that people are like, I'm sick of staring at screens. But instead of solving the problem with technology, uh, a specific technology in this case, and this is kind of like the thing where, you know, when, uh, for example, TikTok came out, well, how do we all get on TikTok? How do we make it? It's not about that. More so, look at the larger trend. People want shorter videos, shorter content. You know, they want, do you want comedy? You know, all these things. People are getting their news via TikTok. Instead of looking at saying TikTok is the solution, it's shorter video solution. So Clubhouse in this case is that people want audio only. They're sick of being on camera, having to worry about if they're wearing pants. You know, they just want to listen. They want to put it on the background. So how could you do that for a virtual event then? Well, here's the case. Maybe instead have a session where people tune in and it's audio only and they can tune in on their phone and you encourage people to go for a walk. So it's a walking session instead. Boom. That's instead of taking the technology, which is Clubhouse, and instead taking the trend and then applying it to your strategy and your design of your events. And you can, yeah, you can put a, put a, a Zoom call on your phone and go for a walk. I mean, it's, 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 it's. Boom. Ace is easy to do. And, and I agree 100%, Will, that it's not about the technology, that most of the time when people are looking to add pizzazz to their event, you know, they, they want a technolo technological solution. And I keep saying, 
you know, it's not about the new technology that I would rather see old technology used well than new technology being used just because it's new. Um, you know, that one of the best presentations I ever saw was using transparency and markers. And the guy just was brilliant. It was a well-rehearsed presentation and it was really, really good. And, you know, literally ordered an overhead projector. We upgraded him to a document camera, but, you know, still did, you know, did this presentation. And so it's, it, it, we, I, I really discourage people from looking for technological solutions. Like I just, you know, what can I use to gamify my event? Just give me the name of a platform. What can I use to, to, to create engagement? It's not about the tools. It's about the design. And you know you can you can design a fantastic event using the hundred and fifty dollar a year version of Zoom. Um, if you you know you just got to be creative about it, and maybe don't bore the snot out of your attendees with slides. <laughs> you know and, you know go with shorter sessions, go with pre-recorded content. You know so it does. You don't have to spend two hundred thousand dollars on a technological solution for your event. You can use the hundred and fifty dollar version of Zoom. If you design it well and you work with your stakeholders and you see, make sure that they're getting what they want to get out of it. I think that's such an interesting point. It's, it's the way that we design the event experience over a day, two days, over, over hours, over minutes, right? You know, back to your point, Will, I'm, I must admit I'm a TikTok fan because I'm a huge proponent of like short format content and I want to make a decision whether I want to move on not quickly or whether I want to see more. If I want to see more from that content creator, I delve deeper into that content creator and then explore all his sessions, I guess, if you look at it that way, all her, all her sessions. And I like the idea of actually using technology to like Clubhouse, maybe like StreamYard and other things to kind of create the South by Southwest of your event, right? Different venues for different things, depending on what the occasion is. You don't necessarily, for, for all the all-in-one solutions out there who are going to hate me for saying this. You don't necessarily need an all-in-one solution for everything. It's about how you paint the picture, right, and how you use them for the right kind of thing. Like, I was a, I, was a, I experienced a, a platform called Shindig. I don't know. Have you guys come across Shindig? You, you guys have seen the name pop up a couple times. I haven't seen it yeah. uh, uh, hands-on yet. For me, what I loved about that, I mean, well, you should, you should host a DJ night or something like that on shindig because for that kind of like vibe of having something going off but not necessarily having to concentrate on it but the focus is actually on the kind of the networking and moving around the room that's cool so for awards and things like that i can see that working like super well as part of that event design um i'm going to move on to the next kind of question and, and this is less of a prediction but maybe more of an insight into where you think the opportunities are around revenue because everybody's scrambling for money right now, right? They, they need to find ways to keep hold of those association dues and find uh, uh, value for sponsors. And even a lot of people are looking at the ways that they can leverage the audience, right? Like, like how can we drive value out of the audience? How can we turn the audience into um, a dollar sign? Do you have any insight or can you have it? Do you have any predictions about what we might see, especially around online events in the way that in the ways that we'll kind of drive revenue through events? I think for a lot of go for it. Yeah, there's so, so yeah, many the, options. The, yeah, deep, deep what, what I'm kind of enjoying seeing is the light switch going on for planners when it comes to data. Um, that the online events over the last 10 months 
have helped bring that to the to the front of mind. Um, you know, it was always kind of lurking there. You know, through our event apps, through session tracking. Um, you know, through, uh, you know, asking a couple more questions uh, during registration to find out what kind of coffee you like. And then, oh, magically that coffee appears when you, you know, go to get your coffee from the from the little shop. Um, so there, there's been some toe dipping in the data pool uh, over the course of the last year, you know, uh, last years. Um, and like with everything else, uh, technology, there's just been a tremendous amount of advancement here in the last 10 months. So planners are starting to see that you know the level of data that these online events can generate um, is is phenomenal and and specific and incredibly useful to sponsors and to exhibitors and the people who really do pay for our events. You know most of the you know trade shows and conferences out there that fee that you're paying as the attendee doesn't come close to paying for the event. It's the sponsors and the exhibitors that are paying for it. And so especially in online world where, um, you know, most of the biggest fails that I've seen from exhibitor standpoints are just where the planner has just said, okay, we're using platform X. It costs $13,000 ready to go. As opposed to, again, involving them in the conversation and really talking, what's important to you? Is it literally as many numbers as possible? Because we can help you with that, right? Online is the opportunity to expand your audience and get you more and more people. So if it's all about just the sheer volume of emails, great, we can help with that. But the targeted stuff is where the gold is. Being able to say, not only here's the people that stopped by your virtual booth, but here's the people that didn't, but they went to these five breakout sessions that are related to your product. And we can deliver those people so that you can follow up with them later. That's gold, right? So being able to not only hit the people that that stopped by your booth, but also have that targeted marketing toward people who didn't stop by your booth, but are probably interested in what you're selling. So being able to do that kind of digital matchmaking is, is starting to be seen, starting to be able to deliver that kind of level of data integration. And that's starting to light up the eyes of the sponsors and light up the eyes of the exhibitors and integrating with things like Salesforce and HubSpot and, you know, being able to give them that direct pipeline of data of targeted as opposed to just here's my card that I dropped and here's my squishy ball that I got from your trade show booth. It's, it's so interesting you've made that point, Brent, because not just last week I was talking to one of our partners for Event Tech Live. And there's been a huge shift in their business. So they're, they're, they're essentially a technology company that helps, you know, audience acquisition through digital marketing. So they're Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, all this kind of stuff. But what's in, really interesting, it wasn't a huge appetite from their customers before the pandemic to actually leverage that and provide retargeting to those customers, being very specific about the level of targeting they can go to by region, by seniority, by interest levels, you know, friends of friends and session watchers and all that kind of stuff. But now all of a sudden, that's the biggest part of their business at the moment is because the event organizers are all of a sudden going, well, I can get the audience in the room, but actually the biggest opportunity to get sponsorship dollars is after the event once i can say to sponsor a all of these people that watch this of this this and this caliber we can you know pay us i don't know thirty thousand dollars and we'll provide you this many impressions in front of that audience for three months guaranteed like that's very very targeted advertising very very targeted marketing and ultimately you know can those 
I guess those targeted audience members can then click through and become into funnels and you know they're, they're on the customer's website then and into subscription forms or whatever it might be so quite high value in terms of you know what people can actually achieve in in sponsorship dollars will do you have anything else that you're seeing from your customers yeah, you guys kind of highlighted it um, is definitely the long term investment and the long term potential. Um, I think that, um, you know, it was, it was funny. We're talking we're like, yeah, there's this potential that this community that happens at the event can become a long term community. We're like, that's an association basically at that point. But I think that people kind of forget that it's like everyone thinks that like, hey, how can I turn this into a very short term, like one day only? But everyone's always been craving long term engagement and things like that. But I think there's this huge potential to rethink uh, you know, sponsorships and partnerships between companies that give you money to looking more like a digital marketing partnership than anything. And I would love to see that, you know, oh, hey, yeah, you want to come be have a booth? Well, why don't we set it up that, uh, you know, uh, we do a monthly blog post on our blog and uh, well, our guest writers will write it. We'll interview your CEO and we'll make an awesome blog post and it'll, it'll be sponsored by you. And oh, hey, by the way, we're going to do that for 12 months. So therefore, your sponsorship goes from being a one time only uh you know revenue source to like hey now you're getting revenue all throughout the entire year and i think that would really really tremendously help people and i think that what people don't realize too is that that's also great marketing for your event so thinking i think in terms of that creates this huge opportunity for revenue and uh extending the shelf life of content there's some really good stuff behind that I, I totally agree with that, Will. So I come from a publisher background into events, and now the technology is allowing event organizers, pure play event organizers, to easier transition into, I guess, the publishing sphere, but literally leverage all of that as some way of either engaging with their community and keeping them engaged or revenue, right? That's the, or, or even both at the same time. I mean, that's that's totally possible, right? Like, Total win -win. piece of content engages the community, but somebody's paid for it as well. Like, I can totally see so many. And I guess it's it's taken now really to for that technology to be a level and accessible and be able to put it all together. I guess on that, do you think event technology companies then will become more community and publishing platforms rather than niching to event tech? Definitely. I, do. I think that I think it definitely. Yeah, I definitely I think Brent and I have had long conversations about this for sure. I think it's the, the community is the future. Brent, what are you thinking? Well, if you I mean, if you look at the success of, of platforms like Twitch and YouTube and other, you know, live streaming where people are making money, it's all about being passionate about a certain subject and personalities and communities that that, that you know it, 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 you're attracted to that specific gamer if you're following somebody on twitch or that specific person and so the more that organizations can you know find their internal rock stars you know find the people that are you know going to be the guiding lights uh, and then encourage the community and the passion about what people are passionate about, um, you know, more than just, well, we have a Facebook group and, you know, I mean, really finding what people are passionate about and, and working with them to give them more of that, <laughs> you know, it's really not, not that terribly complicated and you can use technology to leverage that, you know, to use technology to keep people in touch. You know, I'm constantly telling folks that, you know, I don't know every event platform out there, you know, I don't know. And if you spoke to them last week, chances are you have more up-to-date information than I do. No one person can, but what we can do is continue to come together as a community and share our experiences together. And so I'm been, doing a lot of that, trying to foster community, talking to people, getting planners to share, hey, I use this platform. 
eh, it went okay, but here's the things that I didn't like. And, or I used this platform and I loved it and it was amazing. And here's the things that I like and I don't like. And so the more that we can come together as a community, the more that we can share and use technology to help facilitate that, the better. And so absolutely, you know, you're dead on that more platforms can encourage and incorporate that the networking that that you know that's what we say we want out of our in-person events right is the is the the uh the serendipity of running into people in the hallways the 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 chatter the talking the going out to dinner afterwards so how do we facilitate that on our on our online events absolutely I, i've seen some platforms already move that way you know i've looked at i've been in touch with a couple recently just to keep up to date myself and they're already looking at this kind of holistic view of like it's a content play. And, but what we need to do is we need to be able to provide our customers with the webinar opportunity right now and the two day networking event or the round table or the hosted buyer and the in-person element as well. So it'd be really interesting to see over the coming years, how maybe it's not event tech, but it's event and community tech, or maybe I need to rebrand event tech live to community tech live and be ahead of the game or something like that. Right. It, you just did all this hard work to come out with a new podcast and you're already having to rebrand it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a message here from Caitlin, the sense of community as event profs working together really betters one another. Do you agree with that? I, I certainly do. Yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, we've, we've already been talking 50 minutes here. I know you guys have got day jobs and things like that. So um, I know most people don't actually think that for Will specifically because I think we do, he just <laughs> they don't realize they do this all. I just never sleep. <laughs> One of the things I know you're passionate about this, Brent, um, or it's a topic of conversation that we've spoken about many a times is the changing face of people within the industry, especially at the moment. So, you know, there's, especially with event technology, there's new roles kind of seem to be popping up or people seem to be positioning themselves in different ways when it comes to social, like LinkedIn and things like that. Do you, do you see the, the whole landscape around event production and event staff and all that kind of stuff changing? In fact, you know, Greg asked this question earlier, like, what's the biggest challenge around people staffing events and things like that post pandemic? So I think that's connected. Like, how do you see it? There's there's a lot of things that are going on, and some of them are positive, and some of them aren't. Um, and you know, on the on the positive side, uh, or maybe I should start with the maybe I start with the bad and work my way into the positive. Uh, the on on the on the negative side, I'm very much concerned about brain drain in our industry. Um, that especially the longer this goes, the deeper it gets into 21. Um, I think we've already lost a lot of people. Um, uh, both literally um, to the to the pandemic, and then also, you know, from a job standpoint, um, that uh, you know, very senior people who have been doing online or not online, but doing in person events, uh, you know, had to make ends meet, and you know, so they had to get another job. You know, if you're working in live events doing audio you got, you're going to have to find another job, uh, you know, during this time. And so they've done that. They've, they've gotten jobs. We're not working at an Amazon warehouse and now all of a sudden they've got benefits and they don't have to travel all over the country uh, and all over the world. Some people really dig that, but you know, after a certain point in your career, you start to go, yeah, you know, maybe I don't need to be doing that every week. Um, and so I'm concerned about the brain drain in in skilled technicians. And then I'm also starting to hear more and more of the experienced planners. 
uh, moving on because they also haven't had a lot of business uh, over the course of the last 10 months. So um, there's, I, I'm concerned that as we do start to come back to our in-person events, um, we're going to be, we're going to have a lot of rookies. And so we're all going to have to have a lot of patience when it comes to audiovisual technicians and inexperienced planners who are now being handed these large events that they were doing in 2019, but the senior planner has moved on. So that's kind of the negative that I'm worried about. But then on the positive side, I'm seeing a lot more people looking to hire technical people to make them part of their team. You know, I've always seen my role as a technical producer as being that person that you can bolt on to, to you know, when you don't have that someone who's on your team who's kind of techie and then looks at the AV bids and says, I think this is good. And what's interesting to me is that I was been, I've been struggling for years to make the technical producer a thing. And now I'm seeing job applications that say we're looking for a technical producer. And people have come to that job title on their own. It wasn't for me. They just decided that's what that person should be who's going to help me with our online events. And I think that will track through to our in-person events. So we're seeing companies, organizations, um, and uh, you know associations hiring technical people to be part of their team. And, and they'll be the ones that will help you find a platform and you know, then when we come return to in-person events, they'll be the ones that work with your in-person AV teams. So those are the biggest shifts that I think I think I see. And then there's probably going to be some broader shifts between, um, uh, you know, companies and organ anytime there's a recession, the companies and organizations have a tendency to to offload uh, full-time planners. And then they usually wind up coming back as third-party consultants later on. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that continuing again, just like we've seen so many times before i agree well do you has it has the last 12 months has has your vision endless kind of changed when it comes to recruitment are you looking for different talent now or are you looking just for the same thing that you were before just in higher volumes yeah, no, I, it definitely changed for sure. I think it's so funny. Uh, Brent and I did a whole episode on why you need a technical producer and educating on what that term is. And that's so true. I, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, hey, Brent's title is uh, is catching on. Um, but no, I think it's definitely it's shifted for sure. Um, you know, you're looking for people who have to have more technical ability, right? Like, you, and someone who can work remote. I mean, like, uh, we've been remote for so long, but before we were kind of like, we kind of got to be like, yeah, this is like, you know, it's a new world. Like, it's okay, but we'll guide you through it. But now it's like, no, this is commonplace. You got you to work remote. You got to be keep up and stay on super techie. But I think that, yeah, definitely in terms of recruitment, it's a totally different landscape. And we're looking for people, too, that also have the ability to evolve with the industry and continue to think. Because right now is not the time to say, yeah, that's how we used to do it. I mean, we talked about it earlier, but like saying, oh, yeah, we do that event every year. and you, No reason why you can't do a new event. We need that same mentality across the whole industry to say, like, look, nothing's sacred. Let's do things totally different than we've ever done before. I couldn't agree more. Guys, we've merely been chatting for an hour here. Any kind of last thoughts or predictions before we wrap up episode one of season one of the Event Tech Talk Show by Event Tech Live, <laughs> sponsored by Events Case? That's a mouthful, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, any any other predictions you want to throw out there? Or maybe I'll, there's I'll an get, episode I'll, two. I'll, I'll throw one out there. Uh, if hopefully it's okay that I, I plug it, but we just dropped our 2021 trends guide like literally an hour ago. Um, so definitely go check that out if you want to hear kind of what our thoughts and stats are around that sort of thing. If you just go to helloendless.com, hopefully that's okay that I said that, <laughs> Adam. Um, but the um, yeah, definitely I think when it comes to anything is 
just prepared. I think once again, we have no idea where this is going to go. And no, like, you know, as much as I'm going to put down a 2021's trends guide, we, this could go any which way and be prepared for that and also embrace it and have fun with it too. Yep. I've put helloendless.com in the comments. So that should be on all the platforms. Will's content is excellent. Um, so do go and check that out. I'll be downloading that afterwards. Brent, what about you? Have you got any final thoughts? You seem to be muted, mate, but I can't. Yeah, sorry. I was gulping <laughs> down some water. <laughs> Amateur. Uh, <laughs> um, what a way to end. <laughs> yeah, I'll, so I'll, I'll echo Will's thoughts that the things, you know, uh, we don't know where this thing is going to go. I try, I do my best to listen to experts. Um, uh, there's a lot of concern about this second wave of, of mutations um, uh, that we're seeing, you know, that this is kind of just the beginning of this phase of, of how these things go. And, the, you know, we're just starting this second phase of, of when we start to see mutations and that it will mutate more rapidly the more we start to vaccinate and things like that because it's trying to it's trying to survive that's what these things do and so just emphasizing you know listen to the facts listen to the science you know do your best to follow it but then i agree 100% well it's an opportunity here to play around with things it's you know there's still an awful lot of goodwill out there uh, when it comes to trying new things taking advantage of this time Play around with new technologies, play around with new formats. Again, engage your stakeholders, talk to your sponsors, talk to your exhibitors, talk to your attendees on a daily basis to find out, you know, involve them in the process as much as possible um, and, and use this time to, to stretch your digital legs um, so that when we come back to our in-person events and we're looking at things like hybrid events, we're not going back to the way it was for the last 10 years where people are just sticking a camera in the corner and going, it's a hybrid event, you know, really engaging both audiences and making sure that it's awesome for everyone. And we'll make our events better in the process. I absolutely agree. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? And if we could all predict the future, we would all be in a better position now because we would have seen the pandemic come in and we'd have been all been prepared for it. And back to your both your points, now is the time to kind of embrace a change and try new things because that'll make us better prepared as a sector going forward for the next thing. And I am going to say there will be something else down the road that kind of affects our industry. It's like a pattern, isn't it? There's something that comes along every so often. That I keep joking. Of... This is like the third or fourth once in a lifetime industry changing event that's happened in my career. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, the next thing could be, I'm not going to look on the black side. I'm not going to predict any of the next catastrophic things that are going to happen to us as a, as a human race, but there will be something else. And I think the better prepared we are, embrace the change now and, and try different things. Thanks very much, guys, for being on my first episode. You have been absolutely excellent and stellar. Will, you did give me a slight heart attack at the beginning because you arrived like literally 30 <laughs> seconds as we were into it. But there you my go. Bad. This is this is live. <laughs> Will, apart from helloendless.com, where can people connect up with you if they want to chat to you after the show? Yeah, if you just search Will Curran, uh, C-U-R-R-A-N, uh, anywhere. I'm pretty much all over the web. Also, willcurran.com if you want to find me on all my socials and things like that. Um, and yeah, helloendless.com. We got tons of content all the time coming out. So much good stuff. Um, and yeah, definitely that's the place to, to come find me. Brent, where can people find you? 
Super easy. It's brantkruger.com. There's links to pretty much everything uh, that I've got going out there, including the classes that I'm teaching at Event Leadership Institute on the virtual event and meeting management, um, as well as the technical meeting and event production class. So if you've already, if you're comfortable in this online world and you want to start thinking about when we are coming back to in-person, be sure and check out the uh, the meeting production class because we get into all the fun stuff of audio visual uh, and, uh, you know, so you can learn that for when we come back. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for everyone that's tuned in and everyone that's asked questions and posted comments on today's episode. It will be live straight afterwards on YouTube, I believe, and we will be putting a podcast version out afterwards. So if you enjoyed today's content, subscribe, share, like. I feel like a YouTuber now. Um, thank you very much, and we'll see you in the next one.